This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM KQAM. Hey, it's time to get you up and moving for the Saturday morning. Good morning. Welcome in. Appreciate you hanging out with us today here on the program. Big program lined up for you today. Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th Congressional District. We'll get him on the program in just a little bit. We got some great content. We have the Cedric County Board of Education voting against a mask mandate. Now we have the Wichita School District, US2, uh, USD 259, voting for a mask mandate, six to nothing, just a week after they voted against one. So, kind of ironic on that. We'll get to all that content and more in just a little bit. As always, our Kansas talk here on Saturday mornings brought to you by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Also online at philscoins.com. They're opening up in about a half hour from now until 2.30 this afternoon. And it is the end of the month as we uh, do this every single month. But it's good to have him back in studio with us, Mr. Phil Martinez, with us here of Phil's Coins. Phil, how are you, sir? I'm just fine. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. Been a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, been a little bit. And I guess, I, I guess we're looking good to be talking at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad I'm yeah. glad everything's all right. Glad yeah. things are going well for you. And, uh, you know, back up and at it and and uh, and doing well it's hard to believe that we're already though at the end of august this year's yeah. kind of flown by we're right. seven uh, think about this we're eight months into the biden administration <laughs> Man, just to throw that out there for you you just gloomed you just gloomed this all up didn't you just to throw that out for you to put that I into thought, perspective I 30 days was too much yeah well i have to be honest i didn't expect him to last this long Oh, you, I, I thought mean, he would have been kicked right. out by now. Yeah, I figured Harris would take over by now. I figured that he would have been, you know, stepping down to try and tie his shoes. She would have tripped him down the stairs. And, oh, yeah. no, I don't know what happened. And, yeah, you know, I, I still think it's coming after the whole debacle with Afghanistan, oh, which yes. I do want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think it ties in to the silver and gold market. Because from what I've heard is that there's near like three trillion dollars worth of raw metals and precious metals in Afghanistan that we didn't mine, that we left, yes. and now China is beginning to mine. What the yes. heck is that going to do to the markets? Well, you still got a great demand for the silver and the gold. I mean, they're, they're still you're still going to get into this part about solar panels, and the, the, if they got any kind of silver, the silver would be crazy. You know, Afghanistan is known. You know, they've got lots of lithium for batteries. This is Chinese main thing. I mean, you know, I yeah. you know, you want to I won't I won't get off into the conjecture theory of what somebody told me about China and Biden, but uh other than that. Oh, I, we know. It's this, okay. This, yeah. this is this is a this this is a real mess. I mean, when you leave when you leave all these black hop helicopters in there that we didn't why in the hell didn't we fly them out or blow them up? They've got more black hop helicopters and three-fourths of our allies. Yeah. And those are 20 million dollars a piece and we left them. Yep. You know, somebody goes, well, it's not a big deal. They can only fly so long before they got to be maintained. Well, you know, if somebody would take one of those off, swing over the airport, kill five or 600 people with that thing in 30 minutes, it wouldn't matter how long it flew. Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry, but somebody really dropped the ball on this. Well, it's unfortunate because from what I've heard is that Trump had a plan to pull out of Afghanistan. They yes. didn't use that plan. But the thing is that Biden apparently didn't even listen to his own staff yes. and recommendations from the military or personal staff is that he wanted to do his own thing. My theory has been that, you know, he's obviously been just kind of the puppet doing whatever they tell him to do. So, But he woke up for a minute, wanted to do something of his own accord, ended up doing it, and it was like a horrible, obviously, yeah. you know, thing. Now we have people stranded there. They're trying to say that there are no American citizens left there. There are. Yes. But my, but it blew my mind when, number one, yeah, we left all of our military equipment there, which is unbelievable. 
But then number two is that that precious metals thing really bothered me is the fact that, all right, what is this really all about? Why would we do this so quickly when even he admitted, yeah, you know what? They took over the country a little bit sooner than what we anticipated, as in like hours after we decided to pull out. It's going to be 30 days and two days later they're there. Yeah, they're already there. But now we have a precious metals argument. We could have had that if, I mean, not that we wanted to take over land, but we could have been mining that precious metal of gold, silver, and lithium, like you mentioned, and, and we could be using utilizing that. But now the Chinese have it, which just gives them more of an arson. I mean, you know, somebody was telling me the other day that he thinks the Chinese will just basically go in and, and take Af- Afghan over. Yeah, and that's a possibility. you got the military to do it, and who's going to stop them? Yeah. We're not going to stop them. So, I mean, you know, China's got the largest physical army in the world. They've got three million soldiers. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, you know, and somebody said, and I said, well, you know, the, the Russians fought them for years, then we fought them for years. And nobody technically, you know, they've been in war for 40 or 50 years and nobody's ever defeated them yet technically. And somebody said, well, yeah, but if the Chinese come in, they'll just kill everybody. They're not going to worry about what it is. They'll just wipe them out because they need places to put their people anyway. So that's one of those conjecture theories that somebody's popped up with in the at the midnight hour, I guess. But uh, so it'll be interesting to watch what happens. It is going to be interesting to see what happens. And we'll see what the gold and silver market does in response to some of that mining as well. Because I know that you've talked about it before is that, that silver especially is getting more and more difficult to get yeah. when with mining because it's uh, getting so far down there that we've pretty much mined everything that's easily accessible. Yeah. So is this going to throw a wrench in that system, maybe in a good way or a bad way, if they start mining silver out there? No. Because no. right now, China needs all the silver they can get their hands on to build their own solar panels. China mm. just built the largest solar panel system in the world. I do not know whether it's completed yet or not. But if not, I mean, you know, you look at their silver coins that used to be 31.1 grams, and now they're 30 grams. So even they're cutting, and they're cutting back on the amount that they're mi- or printing, and they're also cutting back on the amount they're shipping out of country. So if China takes in any kind of gold or any kind of silver, it will never hit the world market. Because China will use it to back the yuan. And if they can back the yuan by gold, we just become a third world country because the yuan will be the number one currency in the world because back backed by gold and we're still backed by Federal Reserve Bank. Yeah. So no, I don't think this will ever this will affect the markets at all. I mean, the Chinese actually would want this product to go up in value, not down in value. Sure. So so I think they're gonna they're gonna hold it and uh you use the gold to back the yuan, and they use and they use the silver for solar panels and all the things they need to build. Yeah, but then we're going to be short on our end, and are we going to end up buying silver from China? Do you think at some point? I don't think China will sell it to you. I mean, well, that's my, true. If number if the number gets up there high enough, they will. True. I mean, they're already buying all our debt, anyways. There's no reason for them to sell all their precious metals. That's right. <laughs> nope. There is that as well. Well, that's a concern for us because now. Where, where do we get our silver predominantly in the country for, for the U.S.? Is it mined here in the country? No. Do we buy it from elsewhere? Where do we get ours? The world, world silver comes out of Mexico and Venezuela, I believe. Interesting. You know, there's two countries down there, and they and basically the production is down because of this COVID-19 stuff. Sure. But I read an article the other day that said for the first time in 5,000 years, there's less silver above ground than gold. Yeah. Normally for every ounce of gold above ground, you're talking millions of ounces in your teeth, in your jewelry, your watches, whatever, that there's usually eight to 10 ounces of silver above ground. And right now there's less silver above ground than gold. And so, you know, I can get all the gold I want. Silver, a little slower. Sure. But at the same time, it's not so much about whether the, pre- the metals are available. It's, it's whether the government can get enough people to work to get it out. Because there was a time the other day that the gold eagles went up 
got a hundred dollars an ounce over their normal normal premiums. Yeah, add another hundred dollars an ounce because the government wasn't putting it out. And nobody had it, and it's supply and demand. Sure. I mean, you know, if you if you if you don't have, you know, just like you go to the you know, just like this toilet paper thing. We're out of toilet paper, and God, toilet paper went from <laughs> 15 cents a roll to $3.80 a roll, and you were lucky if you could get a limit of one roll. So, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's the same thing. That's interesting. That's a, Now, I read a story, uh, according to CNBC, I believe it was yesterday, a couple days ago, uh, it had talked about how some of the investors nationally are looking more towards short sales and short bonds again on certain items. Have you heard is that we've talked before about how that's kind of driven the price down for silver with banks doing that with short sales on, on silver. Is that becoming a thing again? Is that going to affect the market one way or the other again? Do you think in the long term? I, I don't know. I just, I just know that the, 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 the markets are so heavy manipulated. I tell people that, you know, if you're buying silver and you're buying gold and you're having it stored at any venue, uh, I think that's a mistake. Yeah. I mean, if the United States government ever decided they wanted the gold, everything's scored in Delaware, probably in a four block area. All they have to do is just surround the four blocks, take all the silver and gold out. And they basically have got everything in this country sure. to a certain degree. And that the problem is they've manipulated, they've manipulated the thing down to where just like when they went to G- GLDs, gold traded funds. Well, hell, that was great. And they had to have, it was all done in 10th ounce increments. And you could buy these for cash, and and they, they hold the gold for you. Sure. Well, the government, being as smart as they usually are, which proved, again, they're not smart, <laughs> said, okay, if you're going to sell, say, a million contracts for 10,000 gold eagles, you've got to have a certain percentage of gold to back it, mm. which was fine and dandy. That's when we saw gold go to 19, 1917, a quarter, something like that, set an all-new high, and silver went to 48.50. Sure. Okay because they did silver-traded funds at the same time. Well, then the problem you got is they sold, they sold say, a million contracts. But the government didn't allow for anything else, so they sold another million contracts. Sure. But they didn't have to go out and back it by a percentage of silver like they did the first. So basically, all they did was have enough to cover the first million, and they sold the second million and the third million, and now we're at the 100 million. And I said, so this stuff has been leveraged. You know, if you want, and actually, if you want to cash in your, used to be if you could cash the fund in, they would send you 10,000 gold eagles. Unless you have a really good attorney prepared to fight them in court, you just will take the paper check they're going to send you because yeah. they're not going to send you the gold because they would have to go out and replace it. Interesting. And it's hard, it's hard to replace right now. Which is why you want to have it actually you know, on hand in, you know, go into your shop, actually buy the physical bit of silver or gold, walk yes. into your house and put it under your uh, pillow, so to speak. Wherever you would like to find a place to hide it. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting way to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I wondered when we start seeing things on paper, at what point are they going to say, sorry, but we can't actually honor this when we've sold it to you and you technically kind of own it, but we don't really have it, so we can't really give it to you. I mean, that's a concern. Oh, there, there's companies out there now that, especially in silver, you know, they, they, they sell you the silver, they hold the silver. Uh, these companies are generally in business for three, maybe four years. And they go broke. Wow! So all your silver that they were storing for you, that they've that they've sold to you and you and you and you and you and you and you, and you nobody gets the silver. They go broke, and let's call it, let's say they're ABC Silver Corporation. Right. Well, now they change their name to DEF Silver Corporation. The salesmen call you up and say, "Hey, Mr. Johnson, I know that we sold you a bunch of silver, and I know you only lost ten thousand dollars. That's not a big deal." You know, I didn't realize that the people I was working for were a bunch of thieves and crooks and la, 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 la. But I'm working for this new company now, and these people are solid. They've got, 
They've wow. got the they've got the money and the backing. He said this is a way better situation. So they sell him another ten thousand dollars worth of silver. Happens again. And in four years, they call him up and tell him the same thing. And now I'm working for in, you know M M N O right. company. Wow. And so you know, and you know, I can't believe that after they've lost ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars, why you would ever invest with that same guy again? I don't know, but they do. They get the they get this bill of goods. That's I mean, it's why like people calling. You know, coming in and saying, well, I can buy this coin for this price. Well, if you want to buy that coin for $400 less than that, talk to me because I can get you those coins. Sure. I've actually had companies that people that called companies to buy them, and then I quote them numbers of what I can do for them, and then they quote that number to the company. The companies will send them letters. I've got at least three customers that have been sent letters from big companies, big companies, telling them that there isn't, there isn't an honest coin dealer in the country that will sell you gold at that price. Sure. And they've all sent them back letters saying, you guys are full of pooey because <laughs> I bought gold from so-and-so at this amount of money, and he delivered it what he told me he would deliver it. Exactly. For. And, you know, when you can save somebody $400, especially by like 40 coins, I got a guy, you know, we saved him like $12,000 on the first transaction we ever had. Sure. So, you know, I see that. I see that all the time. Well, it really comes down to when you're dealing with something as precious as gold or silver or any type of retirement like that or a precious metal or something with a massive amount of value, yeah. that it really comes down to reputation. It comes down well, to a reputation know, of... these companies yeah. have good reputations, but I just tell, we just did a deal for a little old lady and they bought $630,000 worth of certified gold and silver coins and the company charged them double to triple what they should have. I mean, if they'd have bought them from me, they could have saved probably close to three hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And I'm telling, I'm telling these uh, uh, financial people that you know, if you've got people who want to spend that kind of money, you know, rather than just let them go out on their own, and you know, once once you step up, once you step through that fence and you step into the forest, the wolves will eat you. Yeah. And I said, and if you don't know any better, these salesmen are good. So I said, you know, if you send them to me, let me talk to them, let me tell them the do's and don'ts, and. And if they want to buy their coins somewhere else, I don't care. Sure. But at the same time, if you want to go out on your own, fine. But I would hope that, you know, you'd say, well, Mr. Martin, this is Andy Hoosier, and I got a chance to buy a gold coin and such and such and such, and give me five minutes. Exactly. And in five minutes, I'll call you back and say, well, you need to lose that number because I can get you that coin for $300, $400, $500, less money. Yeah. And, you know, and so if you find another company, fine. But you need, Or if you do business with them, they sell you the coin at a good price, and I tell you it's a good price then that's fine. But you need to check on the second coin and the third coin and the fourth coin and fifth coin because I've seen people that bought coins that mm. bought them at a fair price. The second coin was about 50% over, and by the time they got up to the last coin that was, uh, we, we offered $780 for the coin that they that they paid uh, almost $4,000 for. Wow. So, I mean, they, they can get ridiculous. Yeah. And no, if you absolutely. don't know any better, they're jacking the price up, and you think you're getting a good deal, and you're not. You're you're not, yeah. Let's go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, uh, I want to talk. We'll continue our conversation with Phil Martinez of Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. When we come back, I want to shift gears and talk about the economy a little bit. We had the $5 trillion uh, with the $3.5 trillion in the budget, $1.2 trillion in the infrastructure. That's almost close to passing, giving Joe Biden a big um, I guess, success. So we'll talk about that, what that could do to the economy, what that could do to silver and gold as well as we continue on here for a Saturday morning. It's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Lots to get to today on a Saturday morning. Stay here.
back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Thanks for hanging out today on a Saturday morning. we got a lot to get to. Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Howell will be joining us. We have our interview with Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District right here in Kansas. Big issues going on in Washington, D.C. Right now, we're chatting with Phil Martinez, Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. we got a few minutes left here with him. And let's talk about kind of a, a little pre-teaser as we go into our conversation with Congressman Ron Estes, him being on the Ways and Means Committee, talking about this budget at the federal level. This absurd $3.5 trillion socialist takeover of the nation with this budget, uh, where apparently... And he's going to explain more in a little bit. Uh, if this passes, complete amnesty for all Ill- illegal aliens. It gets rid of all right-to-work laws at the states and puts labor laws at the federal level. So states that have like the right to work where you don't have to join a, fe- uh, a union, those laws would go away at the statewide level, go to the federal level. I mean, it's a it, uh, other than the expansion of social programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the uh, COVID-19 unemployment stuff. I mean, we have, it's just a literally socialist bailout. Yeah. This ridiculous, absurd bill. I don't know how we can afford this $3.5 trillion. And then the 1.2, we're talking $5 trillion all summed up together. Well, you know, a, a lot of that money, if you really look at where it's earmarked, I mean, the Democrats, if you look at these Democratic cities, Detroit, Chicago, New York, those places that are all run by Democratic cities and have been run that way for years, Okay. They're in debt. They are so far in debt, they can't even see the top of the debt. And a lot of this money is earmarked because they're Democratic cities and they vote Democrat. The government's going to bail them out. They're going to take your tax dollars. Now, Biden already told you he's going to raise your taxes. You wait. Yeah, you get $5 trillion that we just went into debt again. I thought Obama spent us into oblivion. Yeah. And I said, this idiot is crazy. <laughs> and uh, Homeland Security would be arresting me right now. Somebody said they passed some law that says I can't agree with the government without being arrested and considered a... Yeah, a we're pro- now considered a domestic terrorist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I can tell them about my terrorism. And so, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, you know, but no, I it, it, it's crazy. They're just going to take, you know, and for you people, you think all these free handouts are good. Sooner or later, the free quits, and yeah. you're going to have to start paying for it. It's like going to the bar and somebody buying that first round of drinks, and that second round of drinks, all of a sudden the bartender says, you owe me $800 because this is your turn to buy, and you're going to be going, what the heck just happened? And I said, that's exactly what this is going to be. So enjoy your free handouts because you're going to pay through the nose for the rest of your life, and your kids will be paying on it the rest of their lives. So you enjoy it now, people, but you better stop and pull your head out of your rears and think about what's going on in this world. Yeah, free, I, free is there is no such thing in this world as free. No free advice, but other than that, anything there's nothing free in this world. Just remember that nothing is free. So according to the congressman, apparently with this bill, it would give every Kansan uh, our age and every kid that we have and every grandkid that we have, it would put us fifty thousand dollars in debt per person just for just for you know a Kansas resident. Yeah, and we're already fifty thousand, fifty or eighty thousand dollars in debt per yeah. person now. Yeah. So, so your your debt just doubled. It just doubled. So, it's know. unbelievable. Yeah. What what is this in about a minute and a half or so? What is this going to do to the gold and silver market? Is this going to drive another high demand for people to go out and get silver and gold? Is this going to lower the value it, of the it, dollar right now? It, it'll depend on inflation. If the if the government goes broke, then silver and gold would be be something you'll want to have because you can barter with it. Yeah. Because because a dollar will be worthless. I right. got all these people asking. Well, you know, if I bring my silver and gold back in, will you buy it back? Well, yeah, but why would you be selling me silver or gold or cash when it would be worth more at the grocery store to trade in right. than the cash I would give you? 
I mean, basically, even the banks will buy silver and gold in times of inflation because silver, you know, if you get into start getting into double digit inflation, silver and gold will hold will, will hold that number and consistently rise with with it. Sure. And so even the banks will buy silver and gold in times of inflation. So I, this is what I see. I mean, I you know I can see that. Yeah, you know, somebody asked me the other day. I still think that technically, if things would get to rolling the way they should be, we could still see sixty dollars silver by the end of the year. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen because it's so heavily manipulated. But basically, there's only eight banks holding it back, and the big boy Chase Stanley Morgan that was holding it back has all gone long. Yeah. And they they say that they can't hold Chase Stanley Morgan back, but the markets, you know, the other day they were twenty eight dollars. I mean, I'm buy, I bought silver the other day, and I'm selling it to the public, and they're screaming about what they're paying me for it, and I'm losing five dollars an ounce. Wow! But that's irrelevant. That's that's just the way the markets are. I bought it. I I bought it at, a, at the height of the market, right? And paid huge premiums. Now the premiums have come down. Uh, you know that coin is probably nine dollars cheaper today than it was when when they first came out. Sure. It's a crazy market. It's a wild time. I know you guys are about ready to open up, so I guess you better get on back to Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. Go and check them out, opening up here at 930 until 230 this afternoon on a Saturday. Phil Martinez of Phil's Coins. Phil, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. I have a feeling that uh, you guys are going to see some interesting rides with this economy here soon. It's going. It's, 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 cra- it's crazy. It's been crazy this year. It was crazy last year. Yeah. And this year is crazier yet. And so no, no telling what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Taking it to another level. Phil, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. We'll do it Enjoy again it. soon. Lots more coming up. Congressman Ron Estes right around the corner when we come back here on The Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM for a Saturday. Let's get right into it. We sat down with Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th Congressional District just a couple of days ago, right here in our very own home district, talking about the federal budget, $3.5 trillion federal budget, plus the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure bill. He had to talk about all that, plus Afghanistan and more, and this is what he had to say. Congressman, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing great, although I'm a little disturbed about what's coming out of Washington, D.C. Of course, we have Afghanistan that I want to pick your brain on and get your thoughts on in a second here. But yesterday was uh, kind of an odd vote. We have the uh, I heard the Democrats were going to hold up the infrastructure bill until the Senate passes the uh, until the Senate passes the three and a half trillion dollar budget bill. So that way you guys could vote on both of them at the same time. But it sounds like you guys are already kind of moving forward with some of this stuff. What do you guys been working on? Well, it, it really is the the Democrat parties uh, being driven by by this group of Democrat socialists, which is roughly half of the the, the Democrat caucus, and they were adamant that they were not going to vote for infrastructure, which is what the country wants and needs, until they can pass a bill that has just huge loaded spending in it. And uh, basically, they they held up uh, Speaker Pelosi and and held the whole process hostage to make that happen, and. And as a result, they were able to ram through this three and a half uh, trillion dollar bill. It, it's really more than that, but three and a half trillion is all that they'll admit to uh, that's in that. And uh, some of the, the Democrats who campaigned as pro-business Democrats, uh, you know, said, no, we, we want to vote on infrastructure first. But at the end of the day, they they folded and and uh, agreed to the their their big spending bill. And uh, that's what we're moving forward with. 
It's unfortunate. Now, you're on the Ways and Means Committee, so you got to see this up firsthand and, and closely to see all the details coming into this bill. And it's obviously a monstrosity. Three and a half trillion dollars is absurd, plus a one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill on top of that as well. We are going to bankrupt this nation eventually with how far we're going here. But talk about the process. What led up to this and the discussion you guys had behind the scenes that we don't get to hear usually with the budgetary discussion and what got thrown into this bill? Because from what I've seen, it is nothing more than a massive socialist takeover of expanding social programs, of fo- focusing on environmental issues, on whatever. I mean, it's not even really a budget. It's just a it's just a goodie bill for a lot of Democrats. It, it really is a goodie bill. It's, it's on top of the things that we already spend for, uh, you know, on top of Medicare and Medicaid and, and food stamps and, and national defense. It's, it's, it, it, it basically just goes out and adds more funding for uh, all these pet projects that have been on the socialist stream list and, and out there, you know, and the sad part about it is Nancy Pelosi tried to say it was for the children on the floor, but in reality, it's creating this huge debt for our children to pay back. Yeah. And basically this bill itself is going to create another $50,000 in debt for each Kansan. So that's a hundred and fifty billion dollars over the next 10 years that's going to be added to to the debt for uh each kansan uh and 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 have to pay back for this and so they basically we're looking at doing things like eliminating right to work laws in states and providing amnesty to illegal immigrants and subsidizing taxes for the wealthy taxpayers in in the blue states uh and then and then basically socialized medicine Forcing everybody to use electric vehicles and and uh, and making it so prohibitively expensive to use your your gasoline car um, and to get around in and and so it it's it's a sad process they've started it's a sad thing they're pushing um, we we uh, it's it still we still have several steps to go in the process uh, the the next step in reconciliation is for each of the committees on the House and the Senate to go through and follow the instructions that were written in this bill about uh, how much money we can spend on certain projects and then pass them basically out of committee. And and then there'll be another vote on the total spending package as part of a, what's called a reconciliation of the budget. And so uh, there's, there still has to be another vote. We have to go through the committee process and then do that, that second vote. Uh, so there's there's some opportunity to stop some of this, but it's it's a sad day when when uh, so many people on another party think that we we our government ought to be controlling everything for us. Well, yeah, it's really sad, and uh, I mean, even though you guys have an opportunity to stop some of this, I mean, Democrats are still controlling the majority there, and really in both chambers, with the way things are kind of lining up here. Uh, but you mentioned a couple of topics I want to get to in a second, but the vote yesterday on this bill wasn't necessarily the approval of the budget, but kind of moving forward with the process of the budget. But uh, from what it sounds like, there was some shenanigans on how they actually uh, made the vote yesterday as well to assume that the budget was already going to move forward as a passed bill, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. So yesterday was the first vote on on basically creating the budget. But what they did is that instead of doing a vote, normally when we go through the process, we, we we pass a rule that says, you know, this is the amendments that are allowed on the floor, and this is how long the debate takes on the floor, and, and we go through that process. And then we, we vote on, then we debate the bill, and then we vote on the bill. Well, 
the process they took yesterday was basically to say, okay, we, we will pass a rule uh, that says we want to, we want to pass this budget resolution. And, and oh, by the way, if you vote for the rule, that just assumes that we will automatically pass the budget. So basically they didn't even have a vote to pass the budget. Uh, they just vote, we just voted uh, on a rule uh, to, to have a budget. Uh, which is a lot of parliamentary shenanigans. Yeah, it's the politics are really the ramming through. It sounds like the Fast and Furious is coming back to the Biden administration and the way Democrats like to actually run things. But you mentioned some topics within the bill that are extremely troubling if this is the case that have nothing to do with the budget. As you mentioned, so let me get this straight. If the $3.5 trillion budget passes, we would see amnesty for illegal aliens in this bill uh, if this passed, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that they're putting in. We would get rid of right to work laws in different states from a national federal overreach, overriding state laws with right to work. If this budget passes, that's right. Uh, that's that's what they wrote wrote into this bill. Is that basically it's a big federal government takeover of the country. Wow. I mean, we're not seeing like a connection between like HR one with centralization of of uh, elections and stuff in here as well, are we? Well, not not as part of this bill, uh, but what this rule that we voted on yesterday authorized was uh, a debate on uh, a John Lewis, uh, what they're calling the HR four, which is a John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which basically doesn't put any restrictions on uh, showing an ID, doesn't uh, it opens it up basically some of the the potential for fraud categories of just having. Uh, everybody mail out ballots and, and again, dictating from the federal level what the election laws ought to be, which is clearly, if you look at the Constitution, it was intended that states control the election process. This is extremely scary. It's very troubling. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes from right here in the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Uh, where are you guys at with the infrastructure bill right now? I know as, uh, as Nancy Pelosi had mentioned that she's not going to vote on that until the Senate passes the budget, which I don't know where that's going to be at with uh, with that side of it. But where are you guys with the infrastructure and what's in that bill as well? Because I, I don't understand why Republicans are supporting the bill, trying to be in a bipartisan manner there. There's still a lot of garbage in that bill as well. And we're giving the Biden administration a major victory before midterm elections, which I don't see politically how that's favoring Republicans at all. Yeah. It, it, so here, here's the process of, of what's going to happen. And, and basically the, the, the social, the Democrat socialist wing of the party that uh, controls Nancy Pelosi's votes on this, uh, basically said they want to pass this, this huge bloated budget before they do infrastructure, because they think they, they want to make sure they get their spending wishes in. So uh, some some of the Democrats uh, said well, we 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 think infrastructure is important because that's what the American people really want and 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 wanted to get that bill passed. But at the end of the day, they they passed they they gave up on that effort. And the the only compromise or the only promise they got from Speaker Pelosi was that she would bring the infrastructure bill up uh, sometime by the end of September. And and I don't understand the process in the Senate. I mean, there there were a lot of senators that actually you know, there were several senators that got involved at the beginning to craft this bill, uh, which would seem to make no sense, knowing that Speaker Pelosi, knowing that President Biden uh, all said that 
well, we'll negotiate with you on a bipartisan approach, and then we'll go do our partisan stuff on top of that in a separate bill right. and, and ram that through. And so it didn't really make sense to do that. We do have to pass uh, this year a a highway bill, if you will. That's that's the old vernacular. Now now it's frequently called the surface transportation bill. And and some of those provisions were included in what the Senate did. Uh, but just to give you a frame of reference, the last highway bill that we passed five years ago was a roughly uh, $380 billion. Sure. And so the, the House Democrats passed a renewal of the highway bill at a roughly $550 billion rate. So now with this Senate program that was brought forth, and it doubles that. And so it, it throws in all these wish list items. Uh, you know, just 11% of it goes to roads and bridges, which is what American people want for infrastructure. And it, it does have lots of platitudes. It talks about things like, you know, $65 billion for broadband, uh, which, which is important. We want that. We, we need that in underserved areas, but only $2 billion is slated to go to rural areas. And instead, $14 billion of that's going to pay the internet bills for people in cities, wow. uh, which doesn't make any sense at all from a standpoint of what, what the federal government should be doing. No, it's not at all. I mean, that's not where the government's role is supposed to be, and it's not part of infrastructure in any way, shape, or form. And you mentioned it. Even if we did three to $400 billion, which is what you know an actual roads, highways, bridges type of project should be, then I could go along with something like that. And at the same time, when we're moving money from the COVID relief that we've spent trying to figure out where to spend all that money, that would cover that three to $400 billion, then guess what? You know what? That would be an infrastructure bill. We could pay for it. We wouldn't have to raise any more spending at all. We could do that. And I think Republicans and Democrats could get along with a bill together like that. But the fact that it's not, and we've gone from one from three to $400 billion to $1.2 trillion with all this other garbage in it, with tax increases and with uh, rural broadband, with all this other stuff that's not that's not infrastructure, that's where I lose it. And I, it boggles my mind that 19 Republicans out of the Senate are actually supporting this bill to pass it. And who knows how many Republicans on the, on the House side, because now we've heard, that some Republicans wanted supported on the House side because the extreme left Democrats said there wasn't enough in it and that Republicans wanted to try and ram this through to make sure to get it done by the end of the year. Uh, it's it's all kinds of loony, and I just don't understand that process. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me either. I mean, we, we do have to pass a surface transportation bill. And, you know, I even, even what the House Democrats passed out at that $550 billion bill to do roads, bridges, waterways, broadband, you know, the electric grid, uh, that was that was even inflated. And then that, that Senate version's a double on top of that. And I, I don't understand, it, and it really was a two-step process. There were uh, less than 19 senators, Republicans, that were involved in negotiating uh, what the $1.2 trillion bill would be. Uh, and then at the end of the day, some of them didn't vote for it, but some uh, some additional ones did, uh, I think, partly just just well, they only needed 50 votes at the the final vote. You know, yeah. they needed 60 to to overcome the filibuster. And so that was the more important vote. 
that final vote uh, wasn't as important. But uh, I, I don't understand the logic in that process. Yeah, no. And I think it's going to hurt Republicans going into the midterm elections next year because Biden so far has not had a victory in anything except for executive orders. This is going to be a first major piece of legislation eight months into his administration where he's getting a major victory and he can't even remember his name half the time. But yet we're going to walk away and give him a big win going into midterms when Republicans are supposed to be saying, hey, look at all the crazy spending the Democrats are doing destroying the economy. Um, so to me, it's extremely sad. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes, uh, 4th District of Kansas right here. I know you're busy, just a couple more minutes left, uh, but I want to talk about Afghanistan, obviously a major issue that's been going on this week. Approval ratings for Joe Biden dropping down to the low 40s. I think they're even lower than that, uh, so to speak. But I... Could you explain the process a little bit to me? Because I don't get it. I mean, Donald Trump had a, a program, apparently had a plan to be able to start withdrawing from Afghanistan and doing it appropriately. But I think we literally just learned what not to do because we pulled out military, left U.S. citizens there, caused all this chaos. And then he even admitted that we saw the Taliban take over a lot quicker than what we had anticipated. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking to see all the events unfold in, in Afghanistan and and it could have been prevented. I mean, this was this was Joe Biden's decision to go this route. Uh, President Trump had a had a, a process set in place that, that they were calling a conditional withdrawal that the Taliban had to follow some some rules. They had to you know to not uh, inflict the additional damage and and impact as as part of the pullout of the U.S. troops and the pull down. And and that process was 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 working uh, up until. Uh, uh, President Biden decided that he just wanted to artificially create a date. And, you know, he, he basically was saying that s- speed is safety. So he, which, which we know is now false. Uh, and he was out there saying that, you know, Taliban would, would never overrun. Uh, and, and as a result, he ended up making this very poor decision. I mean, in, in, uh, it's it terrible, the, the process that he took and the decision he took to pull out the, the military, and now we're seeing that uh, all of the the State Department people, all of the uh, Americans, all of the all of the allies, both Afghani citizens as well as French and British. I mean, people that came to America's aid when the Taliban first supported Al Qaeda in attacking us on 9/11. You know, other countries came to our aid in Afghanistan, and and now we've basically just abandoning them. And they're having to scramble to get their people out. At the same time, uh, the, the decision was made to leave all this equipment. So now, now the Taliban has more Black Hawk helicopters than Australia does, which is one of the partners on the Black Hawk helicopter program. Wow! Uh, just because they left all that equipment there, it's it's just a, a terrible lack of leadership and poor decision making. And and I just, I, it's it just. Uh, we're, we're going to see lots of people die because of the decisions that, that Joe Biden made. Well, it's pathetic because this is a whole nother level of negligence or ill information or just stupid decision making. I mean, I don't know if it was Joe Biden that made this decision himself or if it was his staff and his team that actually did this. But this is horrible. And I don't know what we can do about it now. I mean, they've taken over. They're already starting to prosecute people that helped us. They're already starting to, to kill women uh, that don't abide by the Sharia law and some of the extremism that they have there. I mean, what can we do? We can't reinvade again to try and stamp it out. We kind of have to just let it be. And I, I feel horrible because I don't know what else we can do. Yeah, this is this is a horrible decision that, that Joe Biden made. And he made it against the advice from his advisors. 
I mean, wow. uh, the intelligence community was telling him this would happen and <laughs> that uh, instead they were kind of just visioning this magical world that uh, the Taliban would would uh, be able to negotiate. And, and you know, the, the Taliban is the people that supported al-Qaeda to attack us. And, you know, Taliban does good at, at manipulating the media. I mean, they told them, you know, a week and a half ago that, oh, we're, we're going to be uh, – uh, we've changed and we're going to be nice to people. And as soon as they take over, uh, then you see exactly as you said, is that, uh, you know, women are, and, and girls are no longer going to be allowed to be educated. They're going to be uh, forced into marriage. They, and it's already started. Uh, yeah. They're out prosecuting. Uh, they're, they came back and said that they're, they're any Afghanis. Uh, they don't want any to leave. Uh, and they, they're going to prosecute the folks that, uh, uh, that it helped the Americans and, and 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 didn't obey the Sharia law aspects and and so it's it's really a, a horrible debacle and this is just it's it's another blunder that uh, President Biden's made and it's really a disaster that uh, is going to have untold consequences on on the number of people that are going to be killed and and have their lives for forever altered. Yeah, I, there's a lot of people that are going to be affected very badly from this one. I did make the comment a few days ago that the media here in the U.S. were covering the Taliban statement of, you know, we're not going to prosecute people that fought against us, we're not going to go after women, as they're doing it. And the media almost wanted to believe them, which I laughed because it seemed like they were giving the Taliban more credibility with their words than what they did the last four years with Donald Trump when he was in office because they wouldn't even give him the time of day at all. So I find that kind of ironic with our own media. The big question is, though, is that with U.S. security, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. We have an open border where we still have a 800, 900% capacity of the facilities down at the southern border. We have terrorists. I mean, we've caught people from like over 130 different nations coming across our border already. Now with the Taliban getting more power, getting more technology, getting more control again over in the Middle East, are we concerned about them trying to come over to our border and try and do harm in the United States and maybe even in a relatively short manner with the upcoming anniversary of 9-11? It really is. And, and unfortunately, you know, going back to the, the budget bill that came through, there was no additional money added for Homeland Security through that process. And, and the, the folks in the Homeland Security, the, the leadership there, not, not the rank and file uh, border protect patrol agents, but the, the leadership there sticks their head in their sand related to this. I mean, they, they basically say, well, we, we don't catch many people that are terrorists or on the terrorist watch list to come through. So we don't think it's really a problem. I mean, the, the thing that they don't mention is that the, the smugglers that drop people over the border for the Border Patrol then to, to take care of uh, are different than the known gotaways that uh, are, are being able to be seen on cameras but can't get caught uh, that they're being smuggled in. And and so there there's a risk, a huge risk that, that they're going to continue to see more gang members, more terrorists come through. You know, what we're seeing and um, expecting is that more of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS-K members that are coming back into Afghanistan if they have been uh, out of the country. And and so they're, they're regrouping to, to come back to attack us. And this has just been a, a colossal blunder uh, to go through this. And, and we need to ramp up our security, not, uh, not ignore that we need to have better homeland security. 
Yeah, good golly. Congressman Brown, this is from the 4th District. Last couple questions before we let you go. Anything else you guys are working on? I know that I want to get your thoughts on real quickly as well the the mandate that Joe Biden had from federal employees about the vaccine. Everybody needs to get a vaccine or wear the mask and do the daily testing sort of thing. Uh, Has there been any more pushback from federal agencies against him? Because I know a lot of the agencies, including the postal postal workers and some of the other ones, IRS, ended up sending him a letter saying, don't do this because this is a little absurd. Have you heard any more than that? And I know Nancy Pelosi at the same time in the House was trying to mandate that you guys and all your staffers and everybody in the Capitol try and wear masks all the time as well. And there was a big kind of walkout from some Republicans protesting in the hallways. What's the latest with some of the debacle on COVID and the mask and vaccine mandates up there? Yeah, it, it really is a sad state that, uh, as, in fact, there's a lot of people that have just turned this into a power play uh, around that. And uh, I, I think it, it's, it's appropriate to have testing processes uh, and, you know, and make sure that if people are sick, they, they should stay home. Yeah. And if they, if they are sick and they're, they're not, uh, you know, don't have noticeable symptoms, then uh, obviously you go through a testing regimen and, and um, if you're sick, go back home after that. Uh, but that's a far cry from mandating vaccines and, and uh, uh, mandating that everybody wear masks uh, for the rest of their life. Uh, I mean, yes, this is a virus, and yes, we need to take it seriously, and and we need to use good healthcare practices, um, and but we need to do the same thing uh, with with flu virus that comes through and and uh, and, and other diseases. Uh, we need to make sure we're making smart healthcare decisions about ourselves, and and uh, and not overreaching with with all this dramatic stuff that uh, seems to be on a power play on so many people's fronts. Yeah, I'm noticing the power play on a lot of fronts with the Democrats. They're loving this power to try and play on people's fears and and utilize that power to take advantage of that one. Last question for you, but anything else you guys have planned on voting on here relatively soon? Obviously, with the budget and the infrastructure still kind of lingering for the final approval, unfortunately. But outside of that, are there any other bills that are planning on coming up that we need to be aware of? So there's... uh... There, there's a few things that uh, you know end up in September. That's our uh, end of year. Of course, the fiscal year starts October first. So you know we we have we have to pass a highway transportation surface transportation uh, bill by the end of September. Uh, we'll have actually we have committee meetings going to start back up uh, uh, the week of Labor Day uh, to review some of this three and a half plus spending uh, bill and, and come back and report out of committees. And then that'll be the discussion in September of, of what comes out of committees and and what gets to the floor on the reconciliation process. So that's really going to be the big news. Uh, those two things in in September. Man, you guys uh, you guys have some work cut out for you, and I feel bad because you guys are so outnumbered on the conservative side trying to stop some of this, and it, I'm sure it feels like banging your head against the wall all the time. Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th Congressional District right here in the state of Kansas. Keep up the fight, my friend. We appreciate everything you do up there in Washington, D.C. We'll talk to you again here real soon. All right, great. Thank you, Andy. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM.
Welcome into Candace Talk. It's hour number two of Candace Talk on a Saturday morning here, right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. Great to have you along for the ride today. A big first hour. We've talked with Phil Martinez of Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, as Phil's Coins brings you Candace Talk here every single Saturday, and we appreciate them very much. They are open right now. Go and visit them online at philscoins.com or right there at their store. They'll be open until 2.30. This afternoon, also, we played our interview with Congressman Ron Estes that, uh, from the 4th District here in Kansas as he's been on the Ways and Means Committee and kind of has the inside scoop of how this budget federally is looks. So we chatted with him about that, some of the Afghanistan stuff as well, and we appreciate his time very much. He was going to be in studio with us this week, but uh, ended up getting some flight changes with some late votes from Nancy Pelosi. Thanks, Nancy. And uh, so we had to call in from Washington, D.C. before his flight, so we appreciate his time very much. But let's bring it back down to the home front here, shall we? Because obviously politics coming back to the local level and it's funny we were just talking about this off the air a little bit is that power control whether it's uh individual liberties and rights whether it's our personal health whether it's the say in politics things are coming back down to the local level as much as we can complain and be frustrated with what's going on in afghanistan we can't do much about afghanistan what we can do however is have a say and have some type of judgment or have some type of uh, uh, some type of controller power over our school board of education that just voted six to nothing in USD 259 to implement mask mandates for children. Again, we can have a say on our city council when they try to pass ridiculous, absurd laws. We can have a say and a control over our county commission when we show up and we voice our concerns with uh, with uh, certain rights being taken away, certain liberties being uh, pressured. And that's exactly what happened just a week or so ago as the county commission voted in a very narrow, but we did it. And I was shocked. I was delighted. I was happy. Uh, voted to turn down another mask mandate in the county. So I figured we had to talk about some of this. So back in studio with us here, super excited to have him back. Subject County Commissioner Jim Howell. Jim, how are you, sir? <laughs> Doing great. Good morning, Andy. It's it's good to talk to you. And I tell you, I I have to admit, I'm shocked that we voted against this because first off, I am not the biggest fan of Dr. Mins with the Sedgwick County Health Department personally. Just with the decisions he's made over the last year, he said at the very beginning that if he could just isolate everybody for an entire year, that's what he would do. Uh, so I think he's taken the uh, the concern and the paranoia, I think, to another level. But just a week or so ago, he said, no, I'm not going to recommend a mask mandate again or any type of mandate because we can't enforce it. It wouldn't do any good. We'd have to have everybody to do it. Obviously, we can't we can't get everybody to do it. So, no, there's no point in recommending any type of mask mandate or or lockdown again because it just, we can't enforce it. It wouldn't happen now. We have him recommending it again because of the high hospital rates and because everything's being pressured and because of hospitals being short-staffed. What the, why the change? Why do you think there was a change in recommendation? And talk about that process. I think, I think what's going on is there's, a, you know, the narrative from the hospitals that they're, is they're getting overwhelmed and they're out of beds. And uh, we hear that from a lot of different sources. And um, I just think that... Uh, you know, we heard it yesterday, or heard it from Governor Kelly, I should say, uh, regarding state workers having to go virtual. Um, there was a story came out of one of the news stations a couple of days ago regarding a man that uh, passed because they couldn't find an ICU bed looking at 20 different states, yeah. looking for an ICU bed. So that narrative is really strong. I don't know how much people look at data, but that narrative is a very strong narrative. And a lot of people, again, repeat what they hear. Um, so we get we get a lot of a lot of discussion um, that comes out from a lot of different sources 
And the discussion of the day is we're out of beds, the hospital's overwhelmed, and so we have to do something. And so I think Dr. Menz is just responding to that pressure. And I, I know he took input in from the hospitals and and that type of thing. And I think he's been being pushed a little bit perhaps by some, I mean, let's just say on one side of this a little bit. But um, again, I think if we look at data, I look at all of the data. Yeah. And I'm hearing from my constituents. I don't, I don't know how else to say this, but um, I don't know how much of information I'm receiving is actual factually, it's actually factual data. Sure. Um, one of the doctors was on the news the other day saying he slept two hours and four days. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not, but it just sounds a little bit, it sounds a little bit uh, exaggerated to me. I don't, I don't know if that's possibly true being, because nothing happened four days ago that hasn't happened five days ago and nothing ended it, you know, into four days, there's no problem solved necessarily. So yeah. why someone would only sleep two hours in four days? I don't quite know why that would be. Kind of why. And now we're on the downtrend nationally with COVID cases oh, again. Sure. Like we hit our peak at around 12, 13, 14%. Now we're trending back down at like 7% again. So, I mean, obviously exactly. we hit a little bit of a peak, but I mean, with the Delta variant, obviously the big story has been it's more contagious, but yet it's less deadly. I mean, looking at the numbers, the death rate was between 0.03 to 0.08%, which is less than the 1.5%-ish from the regular COVID. So it's less deadly, although more contagious. So uh, people are panicky. But at the same time, like you said, I mean, I'm almost wondering if the hospitals almost didn't do this as a self-inflicted wound and not to knock doctors or nurses in any way, shape or form, but with some of the mandates coming down from hospitals and health uh, from health industry leaders saying that all nurses and doctors need to get the COVID vaccine and some nurses or doctors that didn't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine, are they letting some of their staff go while they're saying there's a staffing shortage because more people are coming in for illnesses? Well, that certainly is a concern. I don't think they've actually uh, lost staff yet, but that date okay. is coming. And uh, we know that, Again, I don't know what the percentage of that. Va- I'm not sure. I don't know what the vaccine rate is amongst the medical personnel, but it's not 100 percent. And it does beg the question if some of them have concerns about the shot enough that they're holding back. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to be critical to the public for feeling the same way. Exactly. And uh, we know the vaccine rates are lower than than the uh, than Dr. Fauci or Dr. Menz would like. But that's not going to change overnight. And again, I, I do think that the Pfizer getting FDA approval might help some folks to get the shot. Some people just haven't got around to it. But there's a lot of people out there that are pretty skeptical that this is what they want to do. And they've made a very informed, educated, personal choice not to get the vaccine. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say this. I was talking to someone earlier today. I made the point that every single vaccine that's ever been developed does contain risks. Sure. Um, when I was in the military, I got deployed place to places overseas that when they said, we're going to send you over to this country, we're going to give you a whole regiment of shots. And I didn't really even think about it. You yeah. know, we'd, I didn't ask what they were. I didn't ask what was in them. I didn't ask if they were safe. I just yeah, you guys been juiced up on everything. Yeah. Did. And, uh, you know, that's the way everyone's been up to, up, up until this shot. That's pretty much been the way it's been. And in fact, I, I, I'll just tell you, Andy, I'm, I'm celebrating this week. I got a brand new grandchild ah congrats Thank fantastic it's uh and she's wonderful and she's beautiful and a lot of young parents they take their babies in to get you know a whole bunch of shots yeah when they're brand new babies we used to actually wait until our kids were about a year old because i just felt like it was better for their body to to wait a year to get those vaccines we, we did get them vaccines but we waited a little bit and a lot of other parents would criticize us for not 
for not getting them vaccinated, you know, early as early as possible. Sure. And I just think every parent ought to have a choice. And and so, uh, you know, every shot has some risk. Every, I don't care what shot it is, polio has risk. Measles right. has risks. The reality is every shot has some risk. In fact, there are some people who actually die. Sure. Not just have adverse reactions, but actually die. There's a mortality rate for every immunization that's ever been created. So, in the fact of the matter is, this is no different than those in that regard. And I'm, I don't mind people being, you know, a little bit uh, slow to, to kind of uh, get on board. I understand that. Maybe the FDA approval does matter. Again, this is probably the most used vaccine in this country ever before it received uh, FDA approval. I think around, th- th- I'm guessing now, 350 million doses been administered at this point yeah. in the country. And again, there's been some adverse reactions and there has even been some death. Um from the shot. Does it mean that the risk is zero? Of course not. No shot has a zero risk. Uh, everybody needs to make an informed choice. For me personally, I'm 58 years old, a little bit overweight. Uh, the number one demographic for people suffering right now from COVID probably is people exactly like me, 58-year-old white male, a little overweight, some comorbidities. I'm, I'm a higher risk. Sure. So for me personally, I made a choice to get the vaccine. It's my choice. Right. Don't criticize me. I won't criticize you. Exactly. I made my choice because I am looking at the risks. I made a choice to get vaccinated. Yep. Doesn't mean somebody else should do, should do what I did because I did it. I would just make an informed choice, yeah. but then live with the consequences. I think that's, for some reason, we're just destroying each other and battling each other it's over weird. a personal choice. Yeah, it's weird. I've been I've been a big proponent in pushing for the the natural, and we've talked about this before, the natural health of the taking the vitamins, doing the dietary regimen, doing the stuff. And I've been trying to live that as well, which is why I've been going through such a rigorous course myself to try and prove that it can be done and to, and to lead by example instead of just talking on the radio about it and being the blowhard on the radio. I'm actually, I'm wanting to do it. But again, it's it, my push has been, to allow people to have that choice, like you mentioned, to choose, all right, you know what, do I want to take the vaccine? Do I want, do I have other options? Do I have other alternative options? Because from the health agencies, surprisingly, we're not getting other options. They're saying the only way to stop this is to get the vaccine. And we're trying to say, no, there's not. There's other options. If you still want to get the vaccine, cool, all the power to you. But there are other choices and options that you have as well. And that's looked down upon for some reason. And it's caused such a weird riff and such a weird controversy uh, for for a lifestyle. And I just don't understand it. Another thing I think is interesting about this is that we talked about the vaccine rates not or not 100% in the hospitals. The, medic, the medical world has not fully embraced this. Yeah. Uh, there actually are some doctors and nurses. I get emails from them saying they don't support uh, mandatory vaccines. They don't support mandatory masks, for example. A lot of them, example. yeah. They want to have choice. They don't agree with some of the narratives coming out from the from the uh, the medical industry, but those uh, dissenting opinions they're criticized, and they're not really. It's almost like there's a uh, there's a bully in the room. If you don't agree with the with the popular narrative, yep. they get criticized and beat up by their own. And yeah. so there actually is a debate going on. We don't all agree that there's one answer. Um, what really bothers me right now is a discussion about schools. And the mandatory masking that's going on in schools. So if I'm, I'm looking at the data very close. I look at this data every single day, Andy. Sure. And uh, the kids on the data have very little risk. They do. Um, we've had uh, one death in Kansas, ages 0 to 17. Uh, in fact, it was actually ages 0 to 9. Zero deaths, ages 10 through 17, for the entire state of Kansas. Last Monday, I got a hospital report that said we had one pediatric patient amongst our two Large regional hospitals, one pediatric patient for suspected or, or suspected mm. or confirmed COVID-19. I don't understand that data because just last Friday, 
when we were debating this big vote, right. I was told it was exploding. We had exploding number of patients. <laughs> and I questioned them. I said, how many, how many is exploding? Give me a number. They said, oh, three or four. That was last Friday. And by the way, I also confirmed some of those very same patients had RSV or pneumonia, but the argument was they also had COVID. Maybe they were, uh, maybe they were uh, released from the hospital between, them, uh, between Friday and Monday, but on Monday, the number was one. And as far as I can tell, that wasn't even an ICU patient. That was just a, a adolescent, a pediatric patient in the hospital for suspected or confirmed COVID. I don't know what the truth is, Andy, but the reality is data should matter. When you look at these kids right now in the schools, half of them can get vaccine if they want to, yep. if parents want them to. Half of them cannot. Those that cannot are very low risk. Those that can have additional risks, in either case, the greatest risk is amongst the administrators and teachers. Right. And guess what? About 50% vaccination rate there. Yeah. And so they carry the big, if you want to look, down, look at risk, they carry the biggest risk. And yet we put the burden of public safety and public health on the children that have the lowest risk. That Which policy is, makes no sense to me at all. Boggles my mind. According to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment so far, there has been one death in the state of Kansas under the age of 18 right. throughout this entire pandemic. Correct. So you're right. I mean, to put this on the kids and say the kids are spreading it, the kids are killing each other, the kids are going to be getting sick, all the parents are like, I'm scared of my kids. If we don't get the vaccine or don't wear the mask or whatever, I don't understand that mentality because – it shows, and, and you just said it. I mean, the kids are at low risk. The kids can't really spread it. The kids can't really get it. And if they do, it's really non-symptomatic. They're fine overall, other than maybe, you know, people with prior existing conditions or that were already sick or some type of issue. I've never seen a time when we've had society kind of up on its shoulders upside down to where the ones that are scared of going into society, maybe scared of a large crowd, maybe paranoid of something, they're the ones now dictating. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but usually we're in society where we just go about our business, we do our thing, everybody does what's best for them. And if you're concerned or if you're scared, then you're going to be the one staying at home doing the virtual learning, or you're going to be the one taking it to a different school, or you're going to be the one making the decisions for your own health, not saying, this is the way I need it to because I feel comfortable this way. So everybody else needs to do this as well. Like we've never done that this bo- this way before. I agree. In fact, there's a Republican principle called personal responsibility. Yeah. Again, if you can take care of yourself, then you should do so. That's why I believe in the Second Amendment. Yeah. Um, I carry a gun pretty much all the time everywhere I go because I believe in the Second Amendment. It's my responsibility. I don't trust the police officers to protect me, unfortunately. They, they just can't be there at the right time. Right. It is our responsibility to protect ourselves. And we put this onus on other people. When we have the option to do more for ourselves, it doesn't really make sense to me. It violates that principle. Right. What can everybody do? Again, make a choice for the vaccine or not. Yep. But socially distance, better hand hygiene, wear a better mask. By the way, they sell N95 masks down at Lowe's. Mm, they're, okay. they're available uh, retail. The ones that actually might do something other than the cloth Absolutely. mask. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, right now, a cloth mask might, might slow down. I was talking to someone today. Let's say it uh, prevents about 30% transmission. That means they're 70% still getting through. Yeah. Means I'm spitting on you as I talk. Only 70% landed on you versus 100% because I wore a mask. And that's why they wanted you to wear like three masks. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It is ridiculous. Let's take a break real quick. Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Howell, when we come back, I want to talk about potentially what could happen here in the near future, the Supreme Court case that came down uh, from the Kansas Supreme Court, uh, if that's going to have any impact on us. Also, we got to get an update from the EMS side of it as well, other things going on in the county. It's Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Lots more coming up.
Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Soccer KQAM. Hanging out with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. So you guys last week on Friday on your special meeting voted in a narrow one to not implement another mask mandate. Um, that could potentially change. I was wondering if that had anything to do with the potential Kansas Supreme Court decision that came down with the current stay to where individuals could challenge local government. Now, they can't with the school district, unfortunately, now, but they can with city council, county commission, that if you did implement a mask mandate, that they could challenge that in court and have a hearing on that within seven days, make a decision within 10 or whatever. Um, is that a concern? And is that going to stay, do you think? Is that going to be around? And has that been a discussion on the county commission board with decisions moving forward? Well, let me break that down. Thank you for the question, Andy. So if we were to institute some type of a, um, a curfew or a gathering limit, somebody might make the argument that they've been financially harmed. Mm. The county then would have, uh, uh, would be subject essentially to not collecting property taxes to the extent that there was some dance, some fiscal harm to a business. Sure. That's part of Senate Bill 40. But uh, in terms of mask requirements, the county actually has the authority to issue a mask mandate. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a fiscal uh, consequence of a mask mandate by itself. As long as you stay away from those curfews and gathering limits and that type of thing. So masking actually doesn't carry much fiscal risk. But again, someone could say they think it's uh, it's inappropriate. They would, again, access up to district court and essentially reverse that decision sure. through a court process. It hasn't happened in Kansas yet that I'm aware of. Um, it's probably coming, though, at some point. Yeah, you never, you never know. We'll have to see how that plays out. But with, with respect to the Kansas Supreme Court, we have, by the way, if you don't know, we have six members of the Kansas Supreme Court are extreme liberals. Yes. We have one conservative. And so uh, I'm a little bit surprised they did a stay on Johnson County's district court decision that stay came out, and Attorney General Schmidt, of course, I think had a lot to do with that. Yeah. But here's what I do think will happen. I think there are Supreme Court, at some point, probably in the middle of September, maybe in late September, will, will likely rule on Senate Bill 40 as a court decision of their own. Mm. And if they do that, my, my guess is they will probably take a liberal, a big government perspective, as they usually do. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I, they may reverse this entire thing yet again. So all they did so far was say that the uh, Johnson County decision – is not a reason for us to uh, make a decision one way or the other. By the way, our local interpretation, our local county counselors have already essentially took the, taken that position already anyway, said, look, what happens in district court someplace else in the state is not a precedent for us. Now, if it was an appellate court, sure. that'd be different. Okay. But as a, as a district court decision in, in another part of the state, it doesn't necessarily force us to take any particular action. If the Supreme Court or appellate court made a decision, it would. And so, again, what the Supreme Court did so far was they, they said that the, uh, the Johnson County decision, they put a stay on that, so, which means, really, for us, it really doesn't bear on us at all. For Johnson, Johnson County, it empowers them, essentially, to do what we did here in Central County, which, which says we want to rule over our health officer. Right. Only if we're, gonna, if, if we're gonna have a health order in Central County, it must come from the Board of County Commissioners. Now, again, since we, did, we chose not to do that, a business or a... a, a organizations smaller than the, the county-wide can still do things that are more restrictive than the county government. But had we ruled, which we didn't, but had we ruled for some type of restrictive government order, right. they would not be allowed to be less restrictive. They could be more restrictive, but they can't be less restrictive. So that's, that's where we sit right now. That's why when we said no, no masks required from Central County, then 259 comes in behind us and says, we're going to do it here. We're going to do it there. They yeah. can't, we can't stop them. But again, Senate Bill 40 doesn't power parents and others to, to, I guess, challenge those decisions in a district court setting.
Interesting. All right. Well, it's still lingering. And as you mentioned, once they make their final decision, things could change. But right now we're going under this assumption. So that's kind of interesting. Good. Yeah. yeah. Bottom of the hour break. When we come back, one more segment. Senator County Commissioner Jim Howell. I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about the COVID-19 stimulus money that's coming into the county, where that's going. Also, the latest with the EMS. I know that's been a big issue as well. So we get all those updates and more right here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Wrapping up the show today for a Saturday morning. Lots more to get to. Stay here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out. Last half hour of Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Joe Pags live with the weekend right around the corner here in just about a half hour from now. Had a heck of a show. Lots of information. Trying to cram your brain so it explodes on a Saturday morning. That's what we do here and get you up and excited, ready to rock and roll, if you know what I mean. Central County's Commissioner Jim Howell out here with us for another segment. Let's shift gears away from COVID. I know people are probably sick and tired of hearing about COVID, but uh, I know it's a big issue, and especially with all the mandates and discussions of regulation with the school district, as you mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but I think it's been a reminder, me being the eternal optimist, is always the reminder that we have control at the local level and we can make our own decisions. That's why people are upset with the school district, because the parents should have the choice for how best they want to take care of their children. And I think people taking health in their own hands, taking their freedoms like Second Amendment issues back in their own hands and saying, I'm going to carry a firearm. I do not want to be stuck in a bad situation. I will not be waiting for the autopsy from cops when they get here. I mean, it's just all around. People just are going to walk away from the process and do their own thing. I think I think the government needs to needs to change direction just a little bit. We have we have got a real problem in this country. Yeah. And the government thinks that they are the parent. Yep. And we are subservience to the authority called the government. The reality is they're here to serve us. Yeah. They are our servants. And as people, the people, the American people, the citizens of our state are sovereign people. We are the ones in charge. Exactly. And I think we've got to get that back turned around the other way. And I, I see this in almost everything that goes on anymore. We, we as a people want more government yep. all the time. And we don't want to take our freedom and exercise our freedom as a free people should. I, I don't know what's going on in this country, in this country, but let's, Let's take that point and let's uh, let's make that more thoughtful. Let's 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 embrace our freedom and uh, bring our, our government back in check. Exactly. It's a work in progress, but it starts at the local level. Right. And, and that's why we see a lot of people running for school board this year. We see a lot of people running for uh, for city council this year. I know next year we have the commission elections, which you can go to your website, votejimhowell.com and check that's out right. some of the information yep. as you've got a lot of information on there right now. I'm just getting that one started, but we'll have more information going on there every week uh, for a while. But That's uh, awesome. it's out there. Vote jimhell.com. Thank you for saying that. I, do, I am running for re-election. Again, a uh, number of things I have fought hard for. Yeah. Again, I, I want to bring the balance back, uh, in, uh, back in balance uh, of government serving the people, first of all. Yep. Um, I've been instrumental working on EMS issues, as you know. 
I think I've been the strongest voice on uh, trusting our people with the issue of, of COVID and making personal choices and not letting the government essentially rule the people on that. Exactly. So those are some areas where I feel like uh, if people don't know where I am on these issues, I, I really believe that uh, we need to trust the people and we need to serve the people. And I trust them to make decisions for themselves. And, I, and that's essentially how I am on everything. What a concept. Yeah. What a concept. It's so crazy. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about some of the other stuff going on with the commission right now. We talked about it last time you came in a while ago was the near $100 million, whatever you guys are getting from the COVID-19 relief funding from the federal government. Has there been any more discussion on where all that money is going, what you guys plan on doing with it? So, yeah, thank you for that question. So last year in 2020, we received about $110 million plus some money, some money from the state. Uh, some of that money had... Uh, strings attached that had to be spent in certain different ways but we believe it or not we spent the 110 million dollars it's gone and uh it's all gone it's all, that money's gone oh, wow. we had we had yeah. a deadline to spend that money but we have another 50 million dollars for this year and we'll receive another 50 million dollars here in a few months for i believe next year but this new 100 million dollars between these these two payments that again we have our hands on that right now that is money in the bank right at least half of it now and half of it's coming um we have uh, we have until the end of 2023 to the end of 2023 to spend those funds if someone again i can't say too much about i'm not trying to encourage any particular person to do any particular thing but let's understand there's got to be a fair and equal process Mm -hmm. following the rules we always i always encourage people to to reach out to our deputy cfo his name is brent shelton they have questions about how to access arpa funds it's called american recovery plan act funds that's 100 million dollars some of the money will be used to help sedgwick county government, Sedgwick County, COVID response. But a lot of that money will be available to the community for COVID response. If there's anything in the community that was that was harmed or needs to be enhanced because of COVID, those are might be those might be good things to make applications for some of those funds. And so right now we're just we're still kind of in the talking phase, uh, talking phase trying to figure out what to do. But uh, Brent Shelton with a, a deputy CFO can certainly answer questions as to what the process is and how to how to make applications for those funds. Interesting. So it's going to go more towards the community, not towards government agency programs or different sorts of things. It's actually going to help the community, which is needed because we've talked about it before. We don't need to be expending our government size and then trying to wonder how to fund it another year or two later. If it was up to me, I'd put it back in tax dollars and just return it back to the taxpayers. But hey, frankly, that's the best use. But Unfortunately, I can't be that quite. You're probably simple. in the minority on that one, huh? Yeah, well, I I probably am. Maybe not amongst <laughs> the listeners on this show. Yes, it's a great idea, but uh, amongst my colleagues, I, I don't think they would support that. But nevertheless, uh, we will get the money out. I think a lot of the money is going to go going to go out to people and businesses and and uh, organizations that need funds, need some kind of help, sure. and have a COVID you know, some kind of COVID harm or COVID enhancement that needs to do some kind of service, you know, that develops around this issue. So right. Um, that's most of the money. That's where most of it will go. Very good. Have you heard any word with the new $3.5 trillion federal budget coming out that there's going to be another stimulus, any more money coming out outside of this, or is this about it right now that you're aware of? I don't know of anything else serious. I know there's 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 discussion. It seems like the Democrats never can stop spending money. Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this, if this administration came up with yet another one. But uh, honestly, it's, as I said before, it seems backwards to me that we have money before we identify the problem. Right. Normally in government, we find a problem first and we go find revenue second to address those issues. Uh, in this case, we've got, we have money first and we're trying to figure out how to spend the money. That's just backwards. That's and so, not the way government works. I wish they would stop. Uh, unfortunately, I think we have irresponsible federal government. And honestly, I think you and I know, we both know this, there's zero intent to ever pay this money back. Right. 
It's not even our great, 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 great grandkids. It'll never be spent. It'll never, it'll never, ever be funded back. So exactly. it's irresponsible. And for them to even talk about more money, I have no idea how we would spend it if we had it. We just need to, we just need to stop. And so in terms of local government, we have, we have real challenges. Well, we actually have to depend on our actual taxpayers to actually come up with actual dollars to deal with actual government that we have to deal with here. We have plenty of problems, don't get me wrong. Right. But it's not like we need more federal money that's basically printed out of thin air to come and solve problems that we have. We're just, we're just growing government. It's just irresponsible. I think that's what they want. Maybe that's the hidden agenda behind the federal government. Who knows? Uh, because uh, when you become more dependent on it at the local level, like you said, you have a hard time operating enough to make that more challenging for the long term is just uh, is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, some of the other issues going on right now in the county, obviously, as we look at tax rates increasing at the federal level, I mean, we haven't, have we talked about raising mill levy tax rates, anything around here locally as well? Because that's going to put another burden on businesses and everything else around here. So, yeah, I love that question. So we just went through a budget cycle uh, on Wednesday this week. Yes, that's right. We you just guys passed a budget. Cycle. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sad to tell you that um, it's a bigger budget. Mm. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's the truth. Let's talk about the numbers here. So Kansas passed Senate Bill 13 last year, and I was actually a proponent of that bill. In fact, I think Sedgwick County actually came on, came on as a proponent of that bill. What it does is actually creates more transparency. So the people... The people have a right to know what their government's doing. Let's not do this secretly. And by the way, some jurisdictions, I, I'm thinking about a particular city right now. Right. They don't want people to know what's going on. They make their, they make their uh, budget proposal. It, it's secretive. You can't find it online. Right. But if you want to see it, you actually have to call somebody there and have them maybe, maybe send you a, a scanned copy of a couple of pages of their budget because they, will not, they just don't want you to know what's going on. Sure. That's bad government. We've got to be more transparent. We need to hold our, our government accountable. So what this Senate Bill 13 does, it says that the people have a right to know what's going on. If you're going to exceed what's called the revenue neutral rate, it's a calculation saying what's the mill levy need to be this year to create the same dollars as you had last year based on any changes in assessed assessed valuation growth or changes. So if the assessed value grows by 5%, like it did this year for the jurisdiction, if we leave the mill levy alone, they're going to get a 5% increase in revenue. Well, that's not fair. Do we need need 5% more money? (laughs) <laughs> they may not be fair. So let's calculate a revenue neutral mill levy rate. And we're going to tell people, if we exceed this rate, we have to do several things. Number one, we have to have public hearings. And the public has to be able, be able to know what's going on. Right. We On this year, we were able to put this information on our website. But next year, we actually have to send a mailing to each property taxpayer saying, the revenue neutral rate is this. We're proposing to do something bigger than that. And we have a public hearing on this date. We're inviting you to come out and tell us your thoughts. And so... This year is just on, on the website only, next year in the mail. Um, so let's talk about the numbers. This year, we our revenue neutral rate would have been a reduction in the mill levy by 1.01 mills. Okay. That's what should have happened if we wanted to have the same dollars as last year. Now, let me argue on the side of government for just a moment. Don't, don't get mad at me, Andy. Uh, two by fours cost more, gasoline costs more, health insurance costs more. Sure. Uh, we all know wages are going up. Pretty bad. Thanks, inflation. Everything costs yeah. more. Housing costs more. I mean, right. everything costs more. Is it fair to expect the same from government for the same tax dollars as last year? Well, you might say, well, let's go find some efficiencies. Let's cut some waste. Right. Let's become more efficient. So I want the same government for less cost. Well, that's a great thing to say. I agree with you. It's hard to do that. Sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say it's not as easy as it sounds. I wish it was that simple. At the end of the day, um, 
this budget did keep the mill levy the same as last year, which means you have a one compared to that revenue neutral rate. It's the same. You can look at it, look at two ways. Mill levy stayed the same, but we're one mill higher than that revenue neutral rate. So I want to say it's a one mill increase. Right. Even though the number's the same, it's a one mill increase. What's that mean to taxpayers? Well, most of our tax revenue comes from residential tax dollars. $161 million out of this budget is property taxes. And so uh, about two-thirds of the budget is grants and fees. One-third of the budget is property taxes, $161 million. If you, have a, if you own a $100,000 home today in Sedgwick County, the assessed value of a $100,000 home is $11,500, and one mil on that is $11.50. And so... 1.01 mil increase as $11.61 tax increase this year okay. if you have a $100,000 house. Gotcha. So it's a little, little, little bit less than a dollar per month. Sure. That's your tax increase this year. Now, is that enough to get people angry? I guess we'll see. Well, I'm, sorry know, about, bonds, I'm sorry about it, but... Yeah, school bonds do it all the time, and that's... A, oh, don't worry. It's the price of a pizza per $100,000 for your home. I mean, they, they try and use that argument. So you're right. It, it's, a, it's a tricky one because it is an increase, but it's not an increase. Uh, obviously, for us, it's an increase, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, with inflation, you guys have to keep up, unfortunately, just like everybody else. The city, I mean, obviously, just voted to raise minimum wage for all their city employees up to $15 an hour, which is a whole nother discussion as well. But we're driving inflation, unfortunately, all over the nation. And in order for you guys to make things efficient for our taxpayer money, it needs to actually be efficient. Now, in in, in fairness, one of my commissioners might say, hey, hold on. We actually reduced the mill levy by a tiny, tiny bit. And it's true because last year we targeted 29.359 mills. And after technical adjustments, after appraisal uh, appeals were done, sure, they had to adjust the mill levy after the budget adoption by a tiny, 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 tiny bit, which is true. And so by resetting that back to 29.359 mills again, we actually lowered the mill levy by a tiny, 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 tiny bit, okay. although it's still above the revenue neutral rate. So it's it, it, taxes are complex. I get that. Here's what I would like to do as a as a commissioner. If I could have got what I wanted, which I didn't get what I wanted, sure, I would like to split it with the taxpayers and say, you know what, let's let's, let's accept a small increase for some of these things I mentioned a minute ago. Yep. But let's just not capture all of it. Let's right. lower the mill levy some, because we should. I, I think we need to justify those increases and sure. say we need more money. We need more money for this or that. Let's identify what those things are. Well, let's split it with the ta- split it with the taxpayers. Right. I mean, it's it's not fair to say. I don't know that it's fair to say zero increase. Right. We should strive to find more efficiencies and find waste and let's let's trim. That's an ongoing. Let's lean battle. up the government. I, get, I think yeah. we should do that. Let's do some of that. Let's also. Uh, it's an ongoing process. I'm, not, I'm sure we'll ever say we're perfectly lean. We're we perfectly, are completely we've, we've lean. Solved every smooth. problem. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's 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 find some more efficiencies. We should do that. And then let's also maybe you know increase a tiny tiny bit because I think again split it with the taxpayers. I think would be the better. Way to do that, in my personal opinion, but um, sure, we didn't get there. Well, like you said, it's a work in progress. We're always right. getting there, and you're kind of in an uphill battle as well because you're kind of the minority, again, on the commission, so it's difficult to get more conservative things done, unfortunately. So at least we can take what we have here, and it's the best possible outcome for this instead of a you know one- or two-point millimeter increase on top of what we were already doing. We didn't see that. Um, but as you said, as the budget grew, did it grow because we increased size of government or just because expenses for government was just more expensive? I think it's some of both, actually. Really? And by the way, a budget's a little bit different than other things. You might say, I- I'm going to vote for that bridge. I'm going to vote against the bridge. I'm going to vote for this program. I'm going to vote against that program. A lot of decisions and a lot of politics, a lot of decisions we have are 
it was a fork in the road. You go to the yeah. right or you go to the left. Yep. That's not a budget. Right. A budget is a 850-page document. I can find 100 reasons to vote no and 100 reasons to vote yes. Yeah. And I, if I vote yes, I'm voting for some stuff I don't like. If I vote no, I'm voting against some things I really do want. Yeah. So it's much it's much different than it, and then most things that have a fork in the road. This is a a complex process. And so I just like I told people up in Topeka when I was a state legislator, you can advocate behind the scenes, you can advocate on the floor, you can advocate with amendments, and you advocate, 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 and you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. At the end of the day, yeah, it's time to vote, and you got to pass a budget. It's one thing we have to do every year. Yep. In Topeka, one thing we have to do in in every local government is you must govern by passing a budget and a tax plan that funds that budget. At the end of the day, nothing else really has to be done. But those things, by law, must be done. So have you have to, to have done. a majority vote at some point to pass a budget. Yeah. And guess what? We have to pass it in August. So here we are. Here we are. we got just a couple minutes left here. We're talking with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. Let's talk about real quickly the big news that was a few weeks ago. I haven't heard much on it lately, but the EMS crisis going on right now uh from what i heard we do have a new ems director interim ems director what's the latest here so yeah i thank you for that question so we i, I think the the crisis is still ongoing I hate to say that mm-hmm. we're still 21 ambulances down or, i'm sorry 21 uh paramedics down today we're still you know four or five ambulances down today as a consequence of short staff so the good news is the reason i think we had short staff i think those those basic reasons I think have been addressed and fixed by the county commission and by, by our management. So sure. the biggest problems uh, that caused this to happen, I think, have been fixed. We have some interim leadership. We have a guy named Dr. Brinkman as our, as our new office of the medical director, as our physician that gives our, our paramedics uh, medical coverage for their, uh, for their patient care out in the field. Okay. We also have a guy named, uh, uh, anyway, we have a Kevin Lanterman, excuse me. Kevin Lanterman okay. is our director of EMS. He's one of our actual... Um, staff, um, leaders already in the department, like around 30 years time in service here at the county. Sure. Very, very good man. I think he's uh, adored by the entire organization thinks he's wonderful. So we have some great leadership right now. We're we're starting to search for permanent uh, staff. Maybe these folks will apply for those permanent positions. Sure. But we're going to open our eyes. We're going to be very fair and open. We also have uh, sign-on bonuses trying to, to lure people back or to, to steal some people from other jurisdictions. Seems like a lot of places are doing that now. We sign have to on do bonuses, that, apparently. Yeah. We also have some significant raises. We're adding a lot of money to salaries to bring their salaries up. And finally, we have a $185,000 education program. We're actually going to convert EM, EMTs to paramedics. Some of the details are still being hammered out, but we have $185,000 earmarked for a pipeline program to create paramedics. Mm. So between all the things I mentioned right now, I think we're on a good trajectory. Yeah. The immediate crisis is still concerning today, but we do have a bright a bright light on the horizon. I think things are going to get fixed here soon. A work in progress, try and rebuild, get some recruitment going, get a pipeline, as you mentioned, kind of working to get that sure. back up to par. So hopefully we can do that. And uh, just real quickly, in about 10 seconds, have we heard an increase or a betterment in response time from EMS right now, or is it still struggling? It's still struggling because we don't have those people yet. Okay. So do County Commissioner Jim Howell, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Always appreciate all the time you give us and a lot of great information. So hopefully we uh, continue the battle at the local level here. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the chance uh, to be here once again, Andy. There we go. Jim Howell, Central County Commissioner. We'll take a break, a quick break, right back to wrap up the show today for Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Getting ready for the end already. Goes by way too fast. Stay here.
Welcome back into the program. Thanks again to Central County Commissioner Jim Howell for joining us on the program today. Lots of great information there. That does it for us today. It goes by way too fast. Lots of content. Thanks to all the guests coming on. We'll be back at it next Saturday as well. Make sure to stay tuned in. Call in there. We'd love to hear from you as we got a lot more information to try and talk about as this COVID shenanigans increasingness continues. The budget, economic, the economy just crashing left and right. What the heck's going on? We'll cover all that. Plus, Monday, the Voice Reads, the national broadcast. Lots of big news coming up there. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm Andy Hoosier. This is Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Joe Pegg's live with the weekend right around the corner.